Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Walk Show podcast where we explore the walk of life. This is your host, Walker Near. We've got a pretty exciting show for you today. We are joined by a longtime friend of mine named Elizabeth Miner. Elizabeth is someone who has actually made it a goal to travel uh, to every continent in the world and actually just recently achieved that goal uh, by traveling to Antarctica. Unfortunately, while she was traveling to Antarctica, the COVID-19 pandemic uh, outbreak situation kind of came to <laughs> to pass. Um, so she found herself uh, in Antarctica and trying to travel back home through South America when the United States was, was largely starting to shut down. So I was really excited to have Elizabeth join us and talk about not only her adventures in traveling, but also uh, specifically what it was like to be abroad, you know, when, when COVID-19 was all, all happening. Uh, really interesting stories, and Elizabeth's just a really fun person, so I think you'll really enjoy the conversation. As always, the music for today's episode is provided by Misha Zarin, so thank you, Misha, as always, for the music. And without further ado, let's jump over to the conversation with Elizabeth. Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast, Elizabeth Miner. Thank you so much for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. For sure. So um, I've known you for quite a long time now, actually. Maybe maybe, maybe 10 years. Has it been 10 years? Is that possible? Um, probably more like seven or eight. Okay. Yeah, so close to 10. Okay. I just always round to 10, I think, anytime <laughs> I've known someone for more than two years. I'm like, yeah, it's close to 10. Um, I remember I deal with numbers, so I'm like very personal. Oh, right. like, wait a minute. Right, right. Yeah, you're keeping a ledger of the years that we've known. That's fair. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I will a book with all my friends, you know, and I'm like, oh, they're five and a half years, <laughs> these eight years. <laughs> That's good. Um so one of the reasons that I wanted to have you uh, on on the show is that you have a uh, I guess a passion, it's probably the right word for 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 traveling. Um, but not just within the United States, but really all around the world. Is that how you would define it? Or how would you explain your, your, your adventure? Oh, yeah, I think you hit the head on the nail, nail on the head. Yeah. I, mean, I love traveling in the U.S. abroad. Like I told someone one time, I was like, there's actually no place that isn't on my list because I just haven't looked up every place yet, but I'm sure that like every place has something to offer. No offense to our listeners in Mississippi, but even Mississippi, like there's something there you'd want to go see. I mean, there's the, the ocean. I'm sure there's a pretty beach somewhere. Okay. All right. That's fair. That's fair. What about Louisiana? Oh yeah. It's got New Orleans. All right. I'm yeah. Done. Yeah. I'm done. I digress. <laughs> Maybe uh, North Dakota, but even then, like, I think they have a national park up there. That's supposed to be pretty. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. I've never been, I've, so I've never been really anywhere, um, I've traveled very little in the United States, definitely never abroad at all. So how did you, how did you kind of come into that? Did you travel a lot growing up? Is that something that you did throughout your childhood or when did, when did that come to pass? Okay. So growing up a little bit, like I think I was a little bit more fortunate than other kids. My mom has horses. So we will always take them camping. And at first it was just within the state. And then we started spreading to Arkansas and then she bought this trailer when I was about 10 and that's when we started doing more, like, we went out to Wyoming for three weeks and rode all through, like, the mountains and everything. Mm. And I don't actually think I appreciated it when I was that age. 
I guess I thought everyone did it, you know, I was just like, oh, where's going out west, like camping and all that's super cheap. So it wasn't like an expensive trip. Right. Well, and you're not picking it. So you're kind of being drug along with the family or whatever. So yeah. I think that's probably pretty normal. Um, well, that's why I was curious because, you know, for me, like, I, you know, the extent of my traveling when I was a kid was my family. So obviously I'm from, you know, Southwest Missouri and my family, my parents, both are originally from Iowa. So really the travel I did was we would go to Iowa, you know, <laughs> which is, see family. Yeah. And it, you know, it, I mean, not that it wasn't fun, there weren't good times in that, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't traveling to, to a destination. You know, the destination was to see family, not to, mm-hmm. to see a, a scene or to see the, the Grand Canyon or an ocean or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, so I don't know. I think that, cause I, as an adult, I haven't really ever prioritized traveling either. And I, I at least like to blame that on not, not blame it on my parents. Like they, they did anything wrong, but just that, I didn't grow up with that. So it's just not something I even really think about. You know what I mean? Like it. Oh yeah. It's just so not something I'm gonna, I would consider. I'm going to tell you a story. Like, so that was all in state travel, right? It wasn't until I was 14. That I actually went abroad for the first time. Mm. And I think that's what actually sparked the passion for traveling because so my mom's side of the family, they've always traveled. Like my grandma, my aunt, uncle, mom, they've been all over the world to Australia, Europe several times, Russia when my mom was younger, like all these places because of my grandma. I think she loves traveling. So when I was 14, my middle brother was studying over in, um, abroad in the Netherlands. And so we went over there and went to France, England, and then the Netherlands. And I remember being 14 and staring at the Eiffel Tower at night and it's like glittering and gold and gorgeous and being like, oh my gosh, I didn't think this would ever happen in my life. And it mm. made me realize that like you can go wherever you want to go. Right, right. Yeah, there, there are the restrictions are all just made up largely. I mean, yeah, if, like- if it's something that you want to prioritize, you can prioritize it. I was like the standard like 14 year old girl, you know, like you watch like these rom-com movies or whatever. And they always like talk about Paris as if it's like this far off place. And all of a sudden here I was at 14. Like, I mean, it costs a little bit of money. Don't get me wrong. And I didn't pay any of that at that age, but like it made me realize, Oh my gosh, like you can go wherever you want to go. You just have to make it happen. Right. Right. So, um, so when was the first time that you traveled abroad alone? Or, and when I say alone, I guess I, not as a, a, you know, not with your parents is more what I mean. Um, so actually right after I graduated college. So when I was 24, like I, so I traveled a little bit before I got into college with my mom. Like we went abroad for my high school graduation present. And then we went to Canada before I graduated and then Bahamas on a cruise. So that was it. That was the extent of my traveling abroad. And I told myself, okay, get through college, save up and get a job to where you can go two weeks abroad every single year. And so before I even started my job, one of my best friends got, she was working over in China for six weeks. Mm. She was applying for the job. I was like, if you get this, I'm coming to visit you. Cause when else will I ever have a friend in China? Sure. So it ended up being four of us girls. We went to China, Japan, South Korea, and the Philippines for almost an entire month. And I was just sold. And I was actually mad at myself for not traveling during high, during college. Yeah. I mean, that's fair, but I mean, traveling during college is, I mean, you're, you don't really have much of an income and there's a lot of, I don't know, I would think that that could be more challenging than it would be when you're an adult. 
full-fledged reignite like the passion i'm like what is wrong with me like i love this kind of stuff and i haven't traveled for like four years sure sure no that makes sense um it it's it's funny because i in thinking and trying to understand this and relate it to myself like i guess i guess my traveling is just video games <laughs> <laughs> like you know, I have this enormous library of video games at this point. And if, if I always say, like, if I could travel back in time to like 10 year old me and be like, dude, I know that you can only get to rent a game every once in a while now. But if you just hold out, you will have more games than the store has <laughs> in it today, all at your fingertips anytime you want. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, and one time I was I've never gone years without gaming, though. But I remember one time it was like a couple of months where my PC had died and I was working as a line cook in a kitchen and just didn't have the money right away to, to replace it. And so I had to save up for a couple months and I did. And I remember once I got it, like, you know, it's not like I was beside myself with anxiety or something when I didn't, ha when I couldn't game. I mean, I just started reading more and <laughs> probably lived to doing other life. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right. But then as soon as I got it back, um, it was just, I mean, it was, it was a, it was kind of almost creepy how much, I was like, ah, yes, how I've longed for you. <laughs> so <laughs> sounds like that kind of, you know, probably even more so since it was years for you where you, you weren't able to, to travel. Well, yeah. And you hear like, I mean, you get it with the video games and everything else, but like you hear people like going and you're like, wait a minute, what? And like, I just told myself like get through college and then you'll get a job and then you can afford whatever you want to do. Mm -hmm. And I was lucky enough, like, the company I work for, they give us four weeks. Mm. Now, they work us like dogs, but <laughs> you get four weeks of vacation and then you can opt for an extra fifth. So I, ever since I first started, opted for the extra fifth. And as soon as oh. I found out I had five weeks of vacation, I was like, okay, well now I need to do two trips at minimum every single year, two weeks abroad, or, you know, two two-week trips abroad. So at this point, you never really travel domestically anymore, at least, at least not for that long of a period. Um, no, I've done two domestic trips since, like, China, which was 2014. And it was more of one of my best friends, she wanted to go to the Grand Canyon, and I was like, you know what, I've never been, I love road trips, I was like, let's do it. And then my mom mentioned going, to, she loves Yosemite National Park out in California, and I love Zion, which I had done on that previous road trip. And I was like, let's make it happen, let's do the States for two weeks over Thanksgiving. That's what we did. Hmm. I feel like when a lot of people plan vacations, like, or maybe not a lot of people, but some people when they plan vacations, they plan to like do certain activities. Like they want to go, you know, like maybe they go to the Grand Canyon or they go to Yosemite, but really kind of like what you talked about when you were a kid, like really the objective is to be camping and it's a cool place to be camping, but like the activity is almost, almost as important as the location. Mm -hmm. Um, are you are are you driven by that sort of stuff, or are you are you really trying to just you know see more sights kind of thing? If that if that makes sense. I would, yeah, that makes sense. I would almost actually say it's like a mixture of both. Mm. There are some places that I'm like I will. How do I want to word this? Like the destination is the goal, and mm. another is like well, I want to experience this type of whatever. I see. Like, I get giddy Go ahead. no matter what it is. Like, I can be out in, like, a national park, and I'm just like, look at this. Look at this gorgeous tree. We just don't have this back home. Or, right. you know, I could be like, I want to feel like a European or whatever and walk through the streets of Europe. Right. 
a, a long time ago, there was a show called The Chappelle Show, which is mm-hmm. probably my favorite skit show of all time. Um, and in it, there was a skit where Dave Chappelle uh, makes his hands into kind of a W shape and yells Wu-Tang at people. <laughs> and yes. so we used to all hang out and and really party together at the, the, this, this couple's house that we're all friends with that, that used to live here and now they live in Kansas City. But anyway, and so and that's how I met you. And constantly, I would always do the Wu-Tang thing, which was always a reference to Chappelle show. Now, a lot of people I came to find later actually thought that I was just a huge fan of Wu-Tang Clan, which, I mean, I don't dislike Wu-Tang Clan, but I don't, like, sit around and listen to that, really. Um, it, it was really just all, always the joke. Anyway, this all ties to your China trip, because whenever we would do group photos or anything like that, I, I would always insist that the group do the Wu-Tang thing, and all of us make the W with our hands. And my... F- my favorite picture maybe ever is you on the Great Wall of China of all places doing <laughs> Wu-Tang like it's just it's just kind of indescribable like no like <laughs> who has that who has that picture the fact that my terrible joke reference to that traveled all the way around the globe to the Great Wall of China of all places it just it, it made my day then and I can still I can still think about it now and, and gain pleasure. <laughs> just just remembering it. So it's such a good photo. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. I did it just for you, Walker. I know, just I know, I know. Who else is Wu Tanging? I think I actually sent it to you like as soon as I did it, didn't I? I Maybe think it was like so. right after I got back. Yeah, it was pretty close. Uh, and I think I was equally as excited at that time, but that excitement has never subsided. Just know <laughs> so well, yeah, that was for the audience, I guess, for their reference. Like, that's when I was right. hanging out with, you know, those Kansas City friends and everyone else so often. And we were Wu-Tanging every single time we were together. Right. And I think it was you that were like, you should Wu-Tang when you're in China. You... <laughs> I don't even, maybe you didn't say it. And I was just like, oh, I'm a Wu-Tang while I'm a wall. But every <laughs> single country on that trip, I Wu-Tanged. And I actually think I Wu-Tanged for like, maybe three years after that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know it's kind of fallen off now in, in recent years, um, but we we did it sometime recently uh, when we were all back in Springfield. I think the last time there was a group photo with the Wu Tang in it, so it, it still comes up once in a while. Once in a while, yeah, it was big in like what was it like fourteen through sixteen? I feel like was Wu Tang years for me. Right. Yeah. Well, it was <laughs> honestly 13. probably just until they moved to Kansas City and I stopped having a platform to shout Wu Tang at people with, you know. <laughs> You telling me you don't shout out on the podcast every single time? <laughs> I don't. To the listener's delight, I do not.
Well, so, so yeah, so you, you said you went to, to Europe when you were in high school still, then you went to, to China. Have you been any, anywhere else in Asia? Yeah. So I've been to Asia twice. So it was this, that, um, 2014 China trip and everything. And then I went back to Hong Kong, Thailand, Vietnam, and Cambodia in mm. 2017, spring of 2017. Okay. So I, I recommend, I recommend everywhere I go, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some, some, you know, photos, I guess I was starting to say screenshots showing how much, how inundated I am with gaming, but just a picture actually of, of some pretty crazy scenes out in Asia. Like I think it, in Vietnam specifically with just like, I don't know, mountains and just really colorful trees and the water is very still and has like lily pads on it. And I don't know, it's just very, um, very beautiful scenes that I was pretty surprised by. Yeah, the one, I don't know if you're referring to my pictures or just pictures in general, but the picture you just described remind me of Hanoi, which is like, an, it's farther north and it's, um, has a lot of museums and a historical background to it. And it was just gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. So where do you have a, a, a place that you've traveled there in Asia that you would prefer? Um, so my least preference is probably Thailand. And that's just because when I went, is myself, which I'm a short white girl with one of my best friends who's also short and white and then her husband. So we have three white people working around and there's two girls and one guy. And we were constantly harassed in Bangkok in particular, especially where we were staying was more of a tourist destination. Mm. We would see like three guys walk in front of us like 15 minutes, you know, a couple of feet ahead of us and no one would bother them. And then as soon as we walked by, they would like constantly surround us. And Mm. I don't like being hassled that much. Sure. So originally Thailand was like the worst place I got hassled, but now that's Egypt, but only parts of Egypt. So, yeah, I mean, what's a, what's the, the scariest encounter you've had when traveling abroad? Um, you know, I've been really fortunate to where we haven't had a scary encounter. Like I remember in Peru, we had a guy turn around and start following us. And I don't know if that, if he was actually following us, it just happened that we walked by and he turned around and he was like following us down some places I wouldn't have expected, but mm-hmm. nothing ever came of that. Um, in Thailand, they tried getting us to go into a building and I was like, I don't see any windows. I don't see any people. Like I'm not entering this building. I'm going to sit right here in my tuk-tuk and you're going to take me to where you told me you would take me. Right. So do you, do you ever show your dad taken and you're like, look, take some notes here. Because I'm gonna be strong. <laughs> I might need you to come rescue me. I might need you to be Liam Neeson in this shit. Yeah. So I I'm short. I'm like five three, and I you know weigh whatever. But I like to think that if someone starts threatening me, that I'm gonna get really feisty. Like you are not <laughs> you are not taking me down. I will go for the eyes. I will go for for private parts. Like. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you have never had to to prove whether or not that is effective. Um, yeah. Cause yeah, that would be, that'd be bad. Well, that's good. So, so all the travel abroad and really not anything that stands out as like a, a truly scary moment or anything pretty much. Yeah. Just so that's what's um, interesting. Cause I think a lot of people are scared to travel. So I was a little nervous. If I think back on it now, like going to China for the very, going to Asia for the very first time, cause that's such a different language barrier. Mm-hmm. And honestly, we're so fortunate. The majority of the world speaks some English. Like it's just right. the business world. And we 
I've never had a problem. Like there are sometimes like, yeah, I can't communicate properly, but you can point, you can smile. Like, I, yeah. Hmm. Well, so, um, so you, so you, so yeah, so went through Europe, went through Asia. You said you went to Egypt. Did you go to any other parts of Africa at all or just primarily Egypt? I went to Morocco. So I went to Spain and Morocco shortly after high school graduation. That was like my graduation trip. So I'd taken four years of Spanish. So my mom had originally promised Ireland. And then my school had this program. It's the only like actual tour I've ever done through EFT tours. And they were like, we're going to Spain and Morocco, like sign up. And it was discounted because we were students. So I like baked my mom. I was like, can we go to Spain instead? And so I went to Morocco that time. And I honestly want to go back because we were only over there for like a day and a half. And it's just not enough time to appreciate the culture. And then other than that, yeah, it's just Egypt are my only two African countries so far. And at this point, I'm just quizzing you about where you've been in the world. What about Russia? (laughs) Russia is on my list. It's actually supposed to be extremely difficult for Americans to get passports. Mm. And then from the people that I have talked to, they have actually, they've gone. They recommend that you actually travel over the Russian if you can, because there's so much corruption and like bribery going on. Ah, but regardless, I'm going to go. It's just a matter of time. And then you've been to Australia. Yeah, I went to Australia and New Zealand last year. Okay. So frame of reference, my goal was all seven continents by the time I turned 30. One of my best friends, her goal was 30 countries by 30. And I was like, oh, that's a really cool goal. I'm not going to steal it, right? Like I'm going to come up with my own goal. So mine was seven continents. So I've been to Europe. I went to Asia for the first time in 2014. Went to South America for the first time in 2015. And then um, Egypt, I'm sorry, Africa, which I already hit Morocco, but Africa was another, or Egypt was another one. Now I'm just rambling. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, then Australia. So two, two or three years ago, I told my best friend, I was like, I either want to go to Australia, New Zealand in 2019 or Antarctica 2019. And then the opposite, the opposite year. Mm. Last year in May, we went to Australia and New Zealand for basically an entire month. And then this year, I just got back from Antarctica. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty wild. Um, and I, yeah, well, so we, I was going to get to that in a bit, but we can go there now. So, so or we yeah, can so save you, it, up to you. No, 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 it's fine. So you literally just got back from Antarctica, or at least from that trip within the last few days? Yeah, right? it was on the 26th. 26th of March. And, um, and so, because I, so I was in Orlando, Florida, um, from March 5th through March 9th is when I came back or maybe the, I think it was the 9th, whatever, right around that window of time. And at that point, you know, the coronavirus stuff was, was a really big deal in, in China, certainly, and had started to become a really big deal in, in Italy and in parts of Europe already. And in the United States, it was still, I mean, people knew about it. I mean, I had already done a podcast about it, but it wasn't really a part of the national conversation yet, if you will, or if it was, it was largely being dismissed by a lot of people. And um, yeah, I don't know, just not really as serious as it, as it could have been. It wasn't, it wasn't looked at that way. However, it was literally like I came back on, on a Monday and I think on Wednesday is when the NBA got canceled, which to me, which I'm an NBA fan. So of course that's like a milestone, but 
um, that just seemed like when it was just like, oh, wow, this just got real, real. You know what I mean? Like, like this is a significant change that's happening now as a result of this. So didn't you leave for Antarctica like right around that window of time? Yeah. So I left the country on March 5th. So the same time that you were down in Orlando, I flew out of St. Louis to Miami, Miami to Buenos Aires. And then from there down to Ushuaia, because you have to go to basically the end of the world to catch a boat to Antarctica. Mm. Options are Chile or Argentina, and we chose Argentina. Um, So I left on the 5th, arrived in Argentina on the 6th. Our boat departed on the 8th. And I had a wonderful time in Antarctica, but I would agree. It sounds like on the 11th, which is roughly Wednesday, is when the world started crashing down around us. And like, we were so far remote, like as passengers, we didn't have Wi-Fi. Now I think you could have purchased Wi-Fi, but I was like, I don't care about Wi-Fi right now. Like I'm here to see Antarctica, not to be on my phone at night. Right, right. So I literally had no clue what was happening. Um, before wow. I left, several people asked me if I was concerned about the virus. And I was like, well, I was naive at that time. I was like, it's in Asia. And if I was going to Asia, I think I would maybe consider like postponing my trip. I don't even think it was that bad in Italy at the time. Like, I think it started in like, you know, cases were starting to flare up. But I don't think it was to the degree it is now. So I was just like, no, like South America doesn't have any cases. Antarctica doesn't have any cases. I like made a... Um, probably inappropriate joke about like, hopefully our boat isn't, you know, case one or whatever. Sure. But our cruise or expedition company, cruise company, whatever you want to call it, they had even sent out an email to us, like probably three weeks before we left saying that if you are from certain countries, you are not allowed on this boat and that they will allow you to go on another trip within the next two years. But for right now you can't come on this trip. And then they said, if you have a fever, because we will all get health scans before we get on the boat, you will not be allowed on and you will not get refunded. Like if you're going to not change your trip now, then we're not going to refund you when you show up. Wow. Yeah. So we all got health scans when we before we even got on the boat. And I was like super nervous because you're so excited to get on this boat and it's such a big trip and I've been planning it for years and we finally booked everything. And I was like, oh my gosh, do I have a fever? I was like constantly having my friend feel my forehead. And they were like, no, (laughs) shut up. (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, in hindsight, I I mean, it's been three weeks now since I returned from Orlando. And, you know, obviously I'm not ill, so I guess it all worked out. Um, But in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have gone. You know what I mean? Like knowing now what I do. Yeah, um, hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, that's a thing. Like, I, I'm sad that we were so naive about the virus, but at the same time, like, you just don't know. And now we do. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, unfortunately, you know, something I talk about a lot on on this show is that there's so much sensationalism in the world and in the media that it creates this this boy who cried wolf syndrome throughout all of media narratives, where it can be hard to discern what is actually important and the, like what's just noise because everything is so noisy because everything is sensationalized to such a degree um, that it's, I mean, I was in the same boat. I mean, I had, again, I had even already recorded and I think put out the episode that, that I did with Chris Crabtree about the coronavirus. Cause he's been following it since December. 
so I knew it was a real thing. It wasn't, it wasn't that I thought it was just the flu or, you know, any of those dismissive things like that. But I, you know, I don't know. I just didn't, I wasn't anticipating that we were getting ready to enter <laughs> the time that we have since entered. Yeah. Uh, like a pandemic. Well, honestly, my mom's a nurse and she said the exact same thing to me today. We were talking about it. Cause she, well, I think when I left, she was just like, just be careful, you know, like wash your hands. Like, I don't think it will affect you guys down there. And we were going to so such remote places. Mm-hmm. The only time I was ever concerned about it, I was like, well, if someone has it on my flight. Right. Right. But I was just like, once we get to the places we're going, like, we're not going to see people at all. Like we were back, we were going to be backpacking in Argentina. We we're going to go to Chile and backpack. We were going to Antarctica, like such desolate places. It was never a concern at the beginning obviously yeah the, and that's part of the reason i say orlando is a mistake probably you know again it, i mean i guess it wasn't since it's so far at least has worked out but um I, you know i was going to a podcast conference where it was at a resort hotel where there's 1800 people just for the podcast conference plus untold numbers of other people that are there for whatever other events people are there for you know whether it be to go to disney or to mm-hmm. universal or I know there was, you know, sports teams there. There were high school kids and middle school kids running around all over the place. So there was just an enormous amount of people all in a very close proximity. Um, so that was, <laughs> that's why I say it was probably more risky than than I should have been willing to bear. But, you know, whatever. Well, and what's crazy is that if you had been like two weeks later, I think you probably would have gotten it. Like as scary oh, I- as that is to say. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think I, honestly, if it had been the next weekend, I would have I would have canceled, right? Like I wouldn't have gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just crazy how it, it just I mean, it hit literally just before it became clear how serious it really is, um, at least to <laughs> to those of us who are paying attention closely enough, I guess. Yeah. I was going to tell you about Antarctica real quick and then we'll get back. Yeah, yeah, no, that's what I, yep, go. So for anyone that's listening, if you're like, oh, I don't really want to go to Antarctica. Before I went, I would only tell people like, if you really want to go, say like, you should only go if you really want to go, right? Like it's the most expensive trip I've ever taken in my life. You have to save up for it. Like it's not. All my other trips, I feel like I recommend any given day because you can easily put yourself on a payment plan or something and you can make this happen. They're not expensive, but this is an expensive trip. Mm-hmm. After going, I'm like, everyone needs to save up. You need to go. This place is gorgeous. The animals that you see are just unbelievable in their natural habitat. I love Antarctica. So have a little scare before you get on the boat because we had a health screening. Everyone gets on the boat except for one. They did deny one girl. Um, and then you sail typically like two days to get to the continent. And we had such calm weather that we made it there in like a day and a half. So we actually got, they call it like a landing. We got an extra landing that second day that we, they typically don't do. Mm. 
And then from there, every single day, you're just going to different parts of either the peninsula or the surrounding islands and you're dropping anchor. And then you're getting on land at least once a day. And then they'll take you around these Zodiac boats anywhere between once or twice a day. So you can have up to like three adventures a day. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Minimum two. Like they will always let you land one time a day and they will always take you around the boat twice. Okay. So we are doing that. We are having the time of our lives. And we had this gorgeous day. It's my favorite day. You know, we, my friends and I, we went ahead and paid like $300 to do like a paddling excursion with a kayak. So we did the kayak in the morning and then we go to this penguin colony in the afternoon and it's just blue skies, perfect weather. The water is so calm all day. The next day it's rainy and snowy, but we see whales like crazy. And then we go to another colony where there's a few penguins still lingering around. And then we do our polar plunge, which is where if you want, you can put on your swimsuit or whatever, and you can just jump into the water and it's Antarctica, and you're like, well, why not? And it's freezing cold, and you do it anyways. Uh, yeah, so you actually had me at kayaking, because I'm not trying to kayak if it's, like, 40 degrees outside. Um, so how does that work? <laughs> what are you wearing to kayak well, in Antarctica? For this entire trip, you have to be, like, bundled. So they tell you what to pack before you ever get on a cruise. And they say, like, bring base layers, which can be, like, full wool or, you know, like, a long johns or anything like that. And then um, they say, like, bring a top. They give you a parka. They say bring waterproof pants. And then they give you muck boots, which mm. come all the way up to, like, your knees. So I was actually almost too hot because I was expecting it to be so cold that I had, like, my – I travel a lot. So I bought, like, base layers. I already have those. So I took my base layers. And I took a few fleece-lined shirts. And I remember, like, some days I was, like, sweating. Mm. But they gave me this huge parka to wear. And, I mean, you can take it off while you're walking around if you want. And then when you're kayaking, they give you a full dry suit on top of all that stuff. So you just dress with what you want. And they say dress warm. So you're, like, sweating on the boat with this dry suit on. And then you get in the kayak and you're like, this is perfect. This is heaven. So what is there? Like, I mean, are there, are there cities? Are there towns? Like, what is the, is it just a, just like a port? Like what, is, what is actually there in, in, in Antarctica? Yeah. So there are research bases, but you will actually never see any of those on a cruise. So what the cruise ship does, is it literally just decide, I'm, I'm sure they've worked something out to where like they can go, but basically they just decide where they want to drop anchor. So mm. maybe they see a pink, they know a penguin colony lives over here and like, the rocks are flat so people can get out of the boat and walk around without it being like a major trip hazard and mm. you just drop anchor literally. And you're surrounded by these icebergs or brush ice, which is where like ice is all broken up and everything. And it's just floating in the water. Huh. And you have these massive mountains on either side and they're always covered in snow and they're gorgeous. We saw humpback whales, minke whales, crab either seals, fur seals, leopard seals, and then two different types of penguins and like thousands of birds, not thousands, but you get it. Like, right. Yeah. Well, so I, that was one of the photos that I saw from your trip, um, was definitely one of the cutest penguins pictures that I've ever seen maybe ever. So (laughs) that was pretty top notch. You know how I am with little cute animals. So, Oh yeah. Well, everyone should be like that. So (laughs) you can Google it. I think, Typically, you can go to Antarctica between November to April. 
November is when everything's thawing. And I don't think you see whales, but I think you see like adult penguins or something. Mm. I don't remember. Like you'll have to Google it. But in January is when you see baby chicks. February is when like they're beginning to like kind of grow up. And then in March, which is when we went, you see basically adult chicks that look like adult penguins, but they're still just in their first couple months of life. So they're super curious. Like if you mm-hmm. put that down, a penguin would just climb on top of you. Huh. Is it icy? Now, I also have a terrible fear of uh, slippery surfaces because I fall exclusively on them. Is so it- fun fact, there are two types of penguins that do not like ice. Huh. Yeah. So they like tried to find places that's just rocky. No. So Antarctica is icy in some spots, but especially in March, a lot of it has melted on the landings that we did. So, I mean, just picture rock with maybe some like um, moss growing in some places. And then mm. there was snow and you could walk on the snow if you wanted to. So we always did because I, I wasn't worried about falling, but there were certain spots that if you were concerned about that, I probably wouldn't have recommended. But I mean, you don't have to, like the place is so big that you could easily just stay down by the penguins and you never walk up on the ice. And the only reason why you would go up higher is to get a better vantage view of where we're at. So would you say, now we're going to do a little head to head here. Would you say koala bear or penguin? Oh, can only gosh, have that's not fair. That is not yeah. fair at all. They canceled March Madness, so we're coming up with all sorts of brackets <laughs> these days. You know? Um, <laughs> So I would... Gosh, I don't think this is a fair question at all, but I guess I would almost say penguins because koalas, you technically, like I held a koala on a sanctuary, but it was for very brief, like you typically just look at them or penguins, like you can just sit down and they'll climb all over you. Huh. So penguins like a, like the goat of the ice world or something. It's like you, maybe there could be penguin yoga if, if, if we were there with Oh, there would definitely be penguin yoga and I would love it. (laughs) My best friend, Taylor, she joked the entire time about stealing a penguin in her backpack. And I mean, there were several times that those penguins <laughs> basically just climbed into her lap and were asking for it. Right, right. We did not steal uh, a penguin just to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the whales that you saw, how, I mean, obviously it's just estimating I get, but, you know, I, I've, so I've only, for the, for clarity's sake, I've been to the ocean one time i went to jacksonville florida for a work trip and the guy i was with was not at all impressed with the ocean i guess i don't know so i was i was like dude we have to go to the ocean i've never seen it like i'm here i have to go and he's like all right and we went and we stayed for like 20 minutes and then he's like all right let's get out of here and i was new and didn't want to you know rock the boat i mean now if i was on a work trip i would just tell them to piss off and i'd do my own thing but at the time, I wasn't ready to, to do that. wasn't comfortable to say that. So I, I just kind of did what he wanted. But um, so I've definitely never seen any ocean creatures in person. I mean, I've been I guess I've been to Shedd Aquarium in Chicago, but I was like 12 years old. So it was a, <laughs> a very long time ago now. I've actually uh, been to the Shed when I was eight, 17 and I like want to go back because I don't think I fully appreciated it at that age either. Yeah. Well, so how, like you said, you saw like the, the humpback whales, like how big are they in comparison to like the boat that you're in? I mean, they're bigger than our boat. So bigger we're in, ship. I don't think I've posted any pictures yet, so I'll have to get on that. But a Zodiac boat is kind of, God, I don't even know. Think of like when you're on the river 
and Water Patrol is coming after you. <laughs> I never have Water Patrol coming after me. But you know, like they're in those like, <laughs> like um, they're in metal boats. So this is like a raft boat almost. But it's probably that uh, big. You have like maybe 10 people. A Zodiac can fit 15 people total. And I think they typically have about 12. So you think one or two guides, if that, and then the rest are tourists. Okay. But the, I mean, a humpback whale is massive and that's primarily what we saw. And they like swam under our boats, like so close to us. And mm. that animal easily could have like just dumped us over if they wanted to, but they're so gentle. Right. Huh. Just interesting. Cause they live for so long that some of the guides were telling us that there are definitely humpbacks around that remember the whaling times and like us hunting them. But yet they never act out against us. Hmm. Well, that's good because it would be all bad for you if they did. <laughs> that's what, yeah. So we saw primarily humpbacks and it's called breaching when they like jump up out of the water and they weren't doing that. So they are about to migrate, I believe, north. Remember, I'm not a marine biologist, so. Sure. But all these humpbacks were like feeding like crazy because they're trying to add on the weight now before their migration. Mm. And there's like several ways for them to do it so they can like blow bubbles and an ever tighter circle and it confuses the krill which are sm very small like little fish like things mm -hmm. probably like the size of your finger if not smaller and so the whales will blow circles because the krill don't know how to escape the bubbles and then they'll lunge at them and it was huh. just, like these whales were like lunging out to get the the krill so you could see like their mouths and their mouths are probably like the size of me which is five three it's insane wow. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah. So did you see any polar bears? Are those there? No, polar bears are actually only in the Arctic, not Antarctica. Ah, okay. I see. I see. But I'm not I... a zoologist myself, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're not a professional polar bear person? You lied to me for years. I know. I know. I know. I've got that tattoo, but I'm kidding. I don't have any tattoos. Um, <laughs> so there were, there were whales, there were birds, there were penguins. You said there were seals also. Yeah. So there were th four seals that we saw a Weddell seal. I'm going to, I might tell you guys all about seals now because I'm obviously an expert. A <laughs> Weddell seal. It's just picture like this big, fat, cute seal. That's like gray and speckled. Okay. And they were precious. Um, there's fur seals, which just look like any seals that you see almost at um, a zoo or something. Mm. And they're probably the most popular that we saw. So I would like you love them, but you don't love them as much as all the other seals. <laughs> Get out of here, you damn generic seal. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, I forgot about this one. They were elephant seals, which are massive. Mm. And I've been watching a ton of documentaries and elephant seals, like the males will go up against each other and like throw their bodies against the other male. And we actually saw young bulls practicing that. So that blew my mind. I was like, what? This is only the stuff you see in documentaries where people have been like camping out for months. Right, right. Yeah, that's cool. That reminds me, I, I, I don't know. My, so Misha, my friend who makes the music for the walk show and everything, his dad is, a, is, is an archaeologist. And uh, he has spent a lot of time looking for the location of the Garden of Eden. Um, 
I don't think he fully expects to like find a you know the religious version of that, but just basically where it would actually be. Also, spent a ton of time looking for like where Genghis Khan is is buried or whatever. But anyway, so like, oh yeah, super crazy. And yeah, one time I was definitely just flipping through the channels, and, it, and I went across the History Channel, and it's just Misha's dad just on the History Channel talking about whatever, and it's like. <laughs> Like, what? Like, talk about stuff you only see on documentaries. Like, this guy's just in the documentary. The, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. that's crazy. Mm-hmm. go to Antarctica and how, how many days did you actually spend there? Um, okay. So let's see, we arrived in Antarctica on the 11th and we left on the 15th. So I guess it was four full days. Mm, okay. Because we, is that right? Yeah. Cause we, no, we almost had to arrive on the 10th. Let me pull out my, hold on. They, the company did a really good job of like marking every single day where we were. Mm. So we left Ushaya, Ushuaia on the 8th and we arrived in Antarctica on the 10th and then we left there on the 15th. Okay. So you were there the better part of a week. Yeah. And so, you know, you have to go through the Drake Passage, which can take up to two days. So it didn't take us as long getting there. So we did this polar plunge. We saw all these whales. It's like snowing on us. It rained a little bit that morning. So it's kind of like an overcast dreary day. But mm-hmm you're so excited about like the whales and the polar plunge. It doesn't matter. So I remember that night I'm like, Oh, I hope tomorrow's like sunshine and beautiful. Like the previous day. Cause I think still to, to, to today, that's my favorite part. Mm. And then our expedition leader comes on and every single day we have a debrief and she kind of says like, what's the wind's going to look like? What's temperature going to look like? Where are we going tomorrow? So in our debrief, she's like, how was everyone's day? And we were all cheering. And then she's like, has everyone enjoyed Antarctica? And we're all cheering. And then she's like, well, sorry, guys, that's going to be our last adventure in Antarctica. And there's just like dead silence on the (laughs) (laughs) Awkward. Yeah. And so you could tell like she, she just didn't want to give us the bad news, but she had to. And she's like, we just, and been informed by Argentina that they are closing their borders to the U.S. due to COVID. To and so back up, this ship is 199 passengers and like 123 crew. So out of the 199, 97 of us are Americans. And so she's like, the Argentinian government is closing their borders to the U.S. on the 18th. So we have to leave now to get us back into port so that you guys can all get home if you want to. 
So you were supposed to be there longer. Yeah, we were supposed to be, we weren't supposed to disembark until the 17th. And we got oh, to Uriah on the 16th. Whew. Yeah, so our trip got cut a day. That's and we were, we were sailing back and whatever. So when we get into Ushuaia, she again comes on the intercom and she's like, all right, guys, I just want to update you on our situation. And I turned to my best friend and I was like, situation? And I was like, that doesn't sound good. Because we, like, we make jokes and some of them are probably inappropriate, but we had made a joke about like being quarantined on the boat. And we're like, no, <laughs> that won't happen. <laughs> we're like, what's worst case scenario? And my friend was like, quarantine on the boat. And I'm like, nah, that nah, won't happen. Nope. So we all go into like, they have this big room. It's kind of like an auditorium, but it's all on the same level. And they have these little chairs and seats and like benches. So everyone's like sitting down and she's like, we were just informed by the Argentinian government that we have to be quarantined mandatory 14 days to make sure no one on this boat has COVID. Wow. Yeah. And like, mind you at this time, COVID still wasn't bad in South America, even at that point. So we kind of had high hopes of like, well, maybe we can continue on with our trip. Like when we were coming back a day early, they told us that we could just stay on the boat that night and then we could continue on our trip because we were flying home from Chile and the border between Argentina and Chile weren't closed yet. So we're like, oh, we'll just go over to Chile, continue our trip, and then we'll fly home like normal. Like Argentina is just being cautious. Mm-hmm. And then... Every day on the boat, it was like seeing something new happen. So I went into panic mode the day that they told us we were in quarantine because I was just like, oh my gosh, do they think someone on this boat has it? And if someone on this boat has it, we're all going to have it. Yeah. Well, and that, I mean, at that time, like right around the time that you had left or, and I don't know if it was right before it or during the, the few, first few days you were gone, like when I was in Orlando, but that was really the stories that I was hearing where it was bad was like people being stuck on literally on cruise ships yeah. <laughs> um, in quarantine. And that's where like, those were the, the, you know, I don't know if horror stories is the right word, but yeah, basically that that's where all the, the, the scary information was coming from. So then you find yourself living that exact scenario out. Yeah. Thankfully our, I'll get to this, but like our scenario was the best scenario, but I agree. Like I thought the princess off the California coast. Yeah. 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 And I don't remember exactly what the numbers are now, but like so it started out just being a small percentage had COVID. And then like, I think half the crews or something like that, or at least 30% of the boat got sick because they were in quarantine. And like that day that we found out we were in quarantine, I contacted my parents. I was like, contact the embassy immediately. Tell them that we're stuck in on this boat for 14 days. Cause you know, the government is clo- is literally going to close down the border. So like, we can right. continue on with our trip at that point. Like we have to just get home. And how are we going to get home if this country isn't going to let us leave? Um, and then like that night you go to a dark place and you start Googling all those things about COVID and cruise ships. And it says how cruise ships are the worst place to quarantine because those boats are not built like that. And it doesn't matter if they have filtration si- systems on the ship that's not built to catch a particle like the COVID. Mm. So I like turned to my friend at that point. Remember, this is my panic day. And I was like, I don't want to die on this boat. Like I went really dark. Sure. Yeah. No, I, I, I was curious because obviously, you know, I, I was aware that you had been put in quarantine, but the communication was very limited. So I was curious as to how um, you were dealing with that information because I, I, I certainly would have been in the exact same position of being like, 
oh my god everything that could go wrong is going wrong like <laughs> it's only gonna get worse you know so yeah well that's it I feel like everyone has their panic day and for some like mine was instant like that day that I found out we are in quarantine I was just like oh my gosh I went really dark the next day um David so I was traveling with my two best friends or like my best friend her husband which I always travel with them I'm always the third wheel so her husband had his panic day the following day and then Taylor didn't have hers for like a few days later Mm. what was interesting is that we had news from all over the world. So the boat every single morning would print off um, China's main uh, news article. They print out the Canadian, the Australian, the USA Today, the international, I think the British news. So we had like six to seven news sources every single day that we had their highlights. And all of a sudden you just see COVID everywhere. Everyone's talking about cases. Everyone's talking about quarantine. We start reading how in Italy, they can't handle the amount of deaths, like the body. So they're literally just putting people on trucks, like back in World War II, like just stacking bodies up because they literally don't have any place for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some really crazy stories coming out of like Iran, where, where Iran had a bunch of cases that were reported, but then there were no deaths and no one understood why there was no correlation because everywhere else where there was a large outbreak, there were also significant amount of death. And then the Washington Post breaks a story where they show satellite imagery from Iran where they're just digging these huge mass graves. Um, and so, you know, the numbers weren't being reported, but that didn't mean it wasn't happening. Yeah. And so we're being told, you know, we have flights home from Chile, so we had to cancel all that. We had to cancel all our bus tickets, all of our camping sites, our gear rentals and everything. And we were told, like, you guys need to book flights home because we have to prove to the Argentinian government that as soon as you get off this boat, you're getting out of the country. So that that started the fun or like the fun game with the airline company. Because all of a sudden we would book a flight. I would say like, I don't know, maybe 24, 28 hours later, they'd be like, sorry, we've canceled all flights. So then we book another airline company and they'd be like, sorry, we've canceled all flights. And they're canceling like through April or through May. Oh, wow. Yeah. So all of a sudden we have, we're like on our eighth flight cancellation and we're like sitting in a queue for hours because they're like, we've canceled your flight, but we might have some other ones. And so not only are you trapped on the boat presently, but you also don't really have a clear plan as to how, even when you're released from the boat, you're going to get back home. Oh yeah. For the longest time we didn't. So we, the company that we opted to use is called Quark. They're amazing. They're awesome. Like I would highly recommend them for anyone, but they give you the option when you're doing this trip is they will charter a flight from Buenos Aires down to Ushuaia, take you on this boat and then charter a flight back for you from Ushuaia to Buenos Aires. Well, we're adventurers and we want to get in early and kind of explore and we want to continue on with our trip. So we opted not to do that charter flight and also saved us some money. So this entire time, all I know is that as soon as I get off the boat on the 22nd, I'm going to be stuck in Ushuaia, which I'm sure most of your listeners don't know where that is, but pull up a map. It's literally the southernmost city in the entire world. It's waterlocked. It's an island, technically, in Argentina. Ah. And while we're on the boat, I forgot this part. So we're trying to book flights home, right? They're constantly being canceled. Then the Argentinian government, who wants us out and who has closed the borders to the U.S., tells us that, hey, it's a national holiday. So we're actually not going to allow any domestic flights from the 20th through the 25th because they don't want their people traveling during that time frame. 
So instead of just saying, if you have an Argentinian passport, you'll be denied at the airport, they're like, we're just going to cancel all flights. And I'm like, how are we supposed to get from Ushuaia to Buenos Aires? It's like, I don't know, 3,000 kilometers or something. <laughs> okay, yeah. Can't really hoof it. Yeah, no, because uh, Taylor at one point posted on Facebook. She was like, if we get stuck in Argentina, is there anyone that we could stay with? And so many, I'm just going to say it, like ignorant people were like, we'll just get to the embassy. Just walk there. And I'm like, you clearly do not know where we are. We will literally have <laughs> to swim, risk hypothermia. You have to cross over into the Chile border, actually, to like take that road up to Argentina and then back over. And turns out, oh, while we were on the boat, Chile also closed their border. So um, just getting to the embassy is not that easy. Sure. Right. Yeah. It's not a it's not a Tom Cruise movie where the embassy is just around the corner and you just have to sprint there. Yeah. <laughs> they accept you with open arms. Yeah. So it's. It was fascinating, though, because um, I told you my parents contacted the embassy, and I had more faith in the embassy before going on this trip. I always thought, like, oh, if I'm ever in a situation, I can show up to the embassy, and they'll at least help me. The embassy started sending us emails, like, don't show up on our doorsteps. You need to work with your airlines to get home. We are not chartering a flight for months, and if we do charter a flight, they literally said it'll be more expensive than a commercial flight. Wow. Yeah, I was very disappointed in our government. I actually still just am. Yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, that's fair. I mean, it. I mean, I think <laughs> we all experience that in different ways, but that's certainly a very um, profound and pronounced time to encounter <laughs> the, the reality yeah. that the government is uh, is not quite the hookup that that it's presented to be. Oftentimes, yeah. So at that time, like you know, we're. I, I paint a really grim picture, but I'll get to the happy stuff. But like at that point, I was just like, well, we'll just show up to the embassy, right? Like at that point, Cork had told us they would help us get to Buenos Aires. And I'm like, if every flight out of Argentina is just completely closed down, we'll go to the embassy. And one of my friends was like, well, they're not going to help us. And I was like, we'll just say we won't leave until they do. And turns out someone in Peru actually did that and they arrested them. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Like an American went in and was like, no, I'm not leaving. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to call the cops on you. Wow, it's not even arrested by American officials, but arrested by the Peruvian. Yeah, like the Peruvian, like our U.S. embassy in Peru called the cops because an American would not leave. And I don't know if they were like yelling or anything like that, but they were like not leave the premise. And so they called the cops. Yeah, they don't show that in the action movies ever. That's never, (laughs) that's never one of the scenes. Yeah. So yeah, it was um, a very interesting time. And like, we have all these nationalities, you know, we have your variety of Europeans. We have Australians, we have New Zealanders. Um, there's like one Argentina, one Chile, Chilean on the boat. And then, you know, like 97 of us Americans. So it was just a very interesting because everyone's trying to get home. Different borders are closing, like different countries will let you transit through. Um, some people had just started like their year long travel. So at first they thought they could just like wait it out in Chile or Buenos Aires. And then they realized that's just not possible and that they have to go home. Uh, wow. Yeah. So I paint this really grim picture, right? That boat became like our utopia. So I panicked on day one. David panicked on day two. Taylor panicked a little bit later when she realized how many flights we have canceled and like these airlines aren't offering vouchers. Mm -hmm. But Cork went above and beyond. So we were being fed five times a day. They give you like a light snack before breakfast. They give you breakfast. They give you lunch. They give you tea time and then dinner. 
So you have the option to eat five different times if you want. And instead oh, wow. of just like canceling that once we entered in quarantine and like, you know, we only booked this trip and through, through the 17th and we were on the boat through the 22nd. They kept everything like normal. They fed us five times a day if you want to. They put on activities. They did like a boot camp. They did like a knot tying class. They had yoga every single day. Our boat had a saltwater pool, a gym, and a sauna along with the dance floor. So like one night we did karaoke night. One night they did like TED Talks. One night they had a comedy night. Like it went from get me off this boat to I never want to leave this boat. We don't have COVID on it. And this is the safest place I can possibly be. Right. So yeah. So did anyone from the boat, as far as you know, was anyone ever ill or? I mean, people got like sick. Like I think one guy had a sore throat, but we had a doctor on the boat. And so I was talking to him one time and he said, we do not have COVID. He's like, we had COVID. He's like, we would be seeing fevers. We would be seeing multiple people. He's like, no one on here is sick like that. Now, you know, you might have a sore throat or something, but that's not COVID. Well, that's good then. Um, so, so how long were you on the boat in total then? Because you, you went on the 15th is when you said you returned from Antarctica. And then so was it a full week or was it longer than that? So I was on the boat for 15 days. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So we were only supposed to be on it for like nine days, the 8th through the 17th and not even like a full nine days, like maybe eight days. Right. And then we got quarantined until the 22nd. Well, by that point, Argentina had like grounded all domestic flights. So Cork, the company was able to get one charter flight out on the 22nd from Ushuaia to Buenos Aires. And they just filled it with, you know, most of the passengers and our flight was later on the 24th. So the com- Cork told us everyone book flights home. And at one point they said, stop booking flights home because they knew all of ours were getting canceled. And they're like, we don't even know if we can get you off the boat on the 22nd. And we're not mm. going to be stranded here. So just stop booking until we have confirmation that we have these flights going to Buenos Aires. So then the next day they say, yes, we got confirmation. We will have flights, but don't book your flights until the 24th. And they were just being honest with us. They're like, in case the Argentinian government doesn't let this plane fly out then you have a little bit of wiggle room with your flights. I see. So we booked our flight at like 6 p.m. on the 24th. So when the charter flight on the 22nd went out, Cork decided to keep us on the boat until the 23rd to let people that had like earlier flights or like medical issues go off first. I see. So there was 29 passengers on the boat the 29th, along with all the crew. And then we all got off. So the 29 passengers plus the expedition team, plus some of the hotel staff. And we got on the flight from Ushuaia to Buenos Aires. And this is where I'm saying like Cork went above and beyond because then they also got us transportation from the airport to Buenos Aires to the hotel and they put us up in the hotel for a night. Oh, that's good. Oh, yeah. I mean, they probably spent thousands of dollars that they didn't have to. And I love that company now. I'm like, I my my government will not get me out of this country, but I know Cork will help me get out of this country. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Huh. You know, it's interesting. So I flew to get home. I flew into Chicago and then into St. Louis. And if flying into Buenos Aires, it's, there's hardly anyone on the street. It's crazy. And like, police will pull you over if you're driving to ask you what you're doing. And like to enter oh, wow. any of their airports, you have to get a health scan. If you have a fever, they won't let you enter. 
And then I fly into Chicago where I literally did not get a health check as I came through customs. And you see all these people on the road and even driving in St. Louis, I'm like, we are not taking it seriously enough. And that's after we've started the stay at home orders and like, it's clear that this is very serious. Again, all the major sports leagues are canceled, all, I mean, everything, all, all, all events, basically, all public events are basically canceled by that time. Yeah. And based off what I've seen in another country, we aren't doing enough. Like the fact that I walked through customs in Chicago and no one scanned me, are you kidding me? Because I was not sick on the boat, but we had to go through so many airports. I spent 20 hours sitting in Brazil in their airport because my flight got in that evening on the 24th at like 1 a.m. And my next flight wasn't until the following 10 p.m. definitely a, a, a sentiment that that a lot of people have is that despite what we're doing it, it's actually still not enough and i don't actually know if the united states is can do enough because i don't know that the population will accept it like in china they had measures similar to what you're describing where it's like if you enter a big you know a public building whether that be an airport an apartment a train station whatever it is you get checked right there for a fever and if you have one you get sent and this is again this is in china you get sent to a fever clinic and then there they test you for COVID. And if you have that, you get quarantined yeah. and that's it. But here like that people just, I mean, especially in the Midwest out here, like people would not tolerate that. Like people would be brandishing their guns and you know what I mean? Like, well, and yeah, I, com I completely get it. So I was talking to my mom this morning again, she's a nurse and I was telling her this and I was like, I don't know what Chicago would have done if I had fever. Like at that point, do you quarantine me? Do you like, give me a sign that says I have a fever, watch out for this girl. Like, I don't know. But right. it, so there are 13 airports that you have to fly back if you're flying from a certain country. So Argentina wasn't one of those at-risk countries, but Brazil was. And my ticket were two separate tickets. So I flew to Brazil to get out of Argentina and I purchased a separate ticket from Brazil home. So as far as the U.S. government knows, when they look at my ticket, I'm coming from Brazil. They don't know that I've been in Antarctica. They don't know that I've been quarantined. They don't know any of this. So they should have asked me a ton of questions because Brazil is an at-risk country right now. And no well, one cares. To some extent, the quarantine that you were on really only mattered for that. Because again, to your point, you then went and left and, and traveled through multiple different airports and countries. So even if you were safe when you were on the boat, who knows what's happened in the time since then. You know? Oh, yeah. So I don't feel sick and I really hope I don't get it, but I'm just acting right now as if I have COVID. 
because we we just traveled too much like and Argentina like I said they did a really I thought they did a really good job they were trying to now shutting their borders doesn't make any sense to me if you want us all to go home but that's besides the fact um, right you had to get scanned at both airports before you could enter on uh, one of them they scanned you again when you were inside the airport to make sure you didn't have a fever and but they kept on touching our passports like they would wear gloves and they would touch your passport not do anything with this glove and then touch my passport and then hand my passport back to me and don't get me wrong like i can wash my hands i can wash my passport but like i can only wash so many things like if you're touching all my stuff like what am i supposed to do right and they would go around they, they had barriers up to where like you couldn't step right on top of them at the check-in they would go around yelling at people if you were standing in line so be like two feet apart two feet apart so they were like as adamant as they possibly could in Buenos Aires. They walked around with hand sanitizer and would randomly spray your, like you would hold your hands out. They wouldn't just spray you without your permission, but they sure. would do that. And then they would spray your phones for you. Huh. So, I mean, they were trying, but they were still like touching my passport after they touched how much other stuff. And there were some people that I saw, like they had mask on, they didn't have gloves. And then they reach up and pull their mask down and scratch their face and then put their mask back up. <laughs> and I get it. Like, it's just human nature, like your faceage. So you don't even think about it, but I'm like, you're defeating the whole purpose now. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, so I guess, you know, really, even when you're on the quarantine, you're almost to some extent still in kind of a, a you know, I, 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 this might be the right, wrong word, but almost kind of a bubble where you're not actually, you know, cause you're on the, the boat where everyone's safe and like you said they're feeding you and they're entertaining you and, and all this stuff so it's not the kind of grim reality that that we're living now here at home right yeah no so i actually think i had like no one should take pity on me like don't get me wrong i was quarantined for like a week that was you know outside my trip but the argentinian government decided to like recognize the time that we were in antarctica so we had 14 days on the boat but you know half of that was our trip the boat mm -hmm. was extremely safe. We're being fed. We're getting drinks. I mean, we had St. Pat's party. Like I hugged people before I got off the boat because they were like, once we got off the boat, we can't hug. So like right. everyone that you become friends with and you become, I have 199 people. That sounds like a lot, but I mean, you're seeing these people day in and day out. So yeah, sure. there's some that I never talked to or I didn't want to talk to because I was just like, whatever. But there were a lot of people that I've made really good friends with. And I'm like, I will see you again in my life or I will talk to you again in my life. Right. But yeah, I it got to the, I think I might have said this already earlier, but it got to the point where I was like, please don't take me off this boat. Can we just stay here for two months? Can we sail back to Antarctica? Right. Yeah. Let's Enough provisions. We'll be fine. So, I mean, obviously you've made it back. Now you're in self quarantine back at home um, yep, for day four. Day four. So is your self-quarantining as much fun as the boat quarantine was? No. So Walker knows this about me, but for your like listeners, I am the definition of an extrovert. So I went from one sharing rooms with a room with a friend, like friends, and then also being right. surrounded by people that I could like joke with and hug and dance or, you know, like, you know, whatever, um, to all of a sudden being trapped in my house where yes, I can go outside and I can jog around the block, but like I have no social interaction whatsoever. And my house is right. way smaller than a boat. <laughs> right. <laughs> so 
you know, would you say, and, and I get there's going to be some recency bias, but, but I'm curious, you know, even with all of this that happened, would you say that this is your favorite trip that you've taken or would you say another trip ranks up there with it? Um, this one is so different. I would say this is going to be my interesting trip, my most interesting trip ever, because I I never thought I'd be quarantined. I never thought we would go through a pandemic. Like I literally felt like I was watching the world end because they were talking about these flights canceling and these type of restaurants are closing. And now these sports events are closing. And like, we watched that all from like a boat. Right. And yeah, I mean, our trip was supposed to be epic. We were going to Antarctica. We were backpacking in Argentina. We were backpacking in Chile to like some of the remote, like some remote places that are just supposed to be gorgeous. And I feel like we still got the really pretty part, but the quarantine was just interesting. Like we made it as fun as possible. We made jokes, we made friends. Like I heard of a few cruise ships where they were locked in their rooms. And I think if I had been locked in my room, my sanity might have gone. Yeah, that's kind of what I imagined when I heard that you were quarantined was that that it was like, you go in your room, you stay there in two weeks, we'll let you out. And that would be, to your point, that would be pretty devastating. Oh yeah, I mean- our rooms were so small. Like we had cards, like I bought cards cause they had like a little boutique on the boat. So I guess my friends and I would play cards, but we would, I mean, we would probably have meltdowns and everything if we've been quarantined to our room. And I think if we had COVID on the boat, that would have been the case. Right. Since we had a doctor, he checked people, no one was showing signs. Like, and that's one thing, like maybe one person can hide their signs, but as close as we all were, like, we're eating together. They serve you in a buffet style way of food. So you're constantly like sharing the tongs and everything. Like mm-hmm. so many people would have gotten it. You wouldn't have been able to hide the signs. Right. Right. Now that makes sense. Well, I'm glad that you made it back. And at least so far, it seems like everything is okay. <laughs> yeah, I read that it takes an average of five days for someone to show symptoms. So uh, talk to me on day six. Still hope I'm okay. going strong. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean I'm kind of in the same boat where I I don't think I have it from Orlando cuz I never showed any symptoms. But honestly like it's, you know, I mean I've gone to the grocery store, right? And interacted with the person who's at the checkout counter and that person has interacted with everyone else who's come through the store. I mean obviously there's more than one cashier, but but not that many and it's like it just seems like it's so so almost impossible to really mitigate the risk. Yeah. So that's why I just assume that I have it right now. And so when I came like back, so I landed in St. Louis, you know, and then had to drive and I didn't have any food at my house. So I had to go to the grocery store and I went and I made sure I was really careful. Like I wiped down the cart, any food I like anything I picked up, I was just like, okay, well now I have to buy it. Like I was very cautious of what I touched to make sure I didn't touch anything extra. And then when I went to the checkout line, I went ahead and bought two bottles of wine. I'm like, well, I'm going to be quarantined for two weeks. Two bottles is not big of a deal. So the woman comes over and all I have is like, like enough to me. what? I said, it doesn't sound like enough to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, that may be true, but I also been drinking a lot on the boat. So, you know, sure, sure. Moderation. Um, so I go to the checkout and I just did self-checkout because I was like, I don't want to infect anyone. Like going on the assumption I have it, I don't want to infect anyone. So I'm checking out and then it comes to the alcohol. So I scan it. I have my passport ready for her and I try to hold it to where she doesn't need to touch it. And this girl touches it and enters in the information. And immediately I was like, I'm not trying to scare you. 
I just traveled through several different countries to get home. I'm here because I'm about to quarantine. I was like, I don't know if I have it or not. I'm not showing symptoms. You need to wash your hands immediately before you touch anything else. And you should have seen her face. Like she was so happy coming over to me and her face just dropped. Yeah, I bet. And I was like, I'm not trying to scare you, but like, I'm just trying to be diligent here and save you in case I do have it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, a wild set of circumstances that um, I don't think anyone, <laughs> clearly no one here was prepared for, uh, whether that be, you know, the government or, or just the public in general, um, which to some extent, you know, that I, I, it's fair that the government, you know, to be critical of the government and their response to all of this. But at the same time, like the, the government is made up of the population, right? It's not some monolith that exists independently of the people. And so it's like, if no one else in the country is ready, then the government's probably not ready either. You know what I mean? Because oh, yeah. it's made up of those same people. So um, it's only time will tell how it will unfold. Uh, my hope <laughs> to some extent is that because of where we are in the Midwest and a not that densely populated area, that maybe it won't you know, hit us like it has in, in New York City or something like that, for example. Um, but that's probably just a naive <laughs> hope on my part. Well, that's what, honestly, like, I wish the government would just come out and require everyone to quarantine right now. Like, go to the store, get what you need, and just plan on staying in your house for 30 days. Because yeah. what's concerning me is that, like, different parts of the states are doing it at different times. So it doesn't really matter. Like, it's almost like, well, who's the last one to do it? Because that's when everyone, almost everyone else needs to re-quarantine when the last one does. Right, right. Yeah, well, and just... And I mean, even like here, you know, we live in, in Springfield, Missouri, and so they have a stay-at-home order here and for the county that we're in, but I don't know that the neighboring counties have that same stay-at-home order. Yeah, right? our so, state currently does not have a stay-at-home order. Like St. Louis just did one, and we have one, and we have one for 30 days. And that's what kind of scares me. Comes like, well, once I do this 30 days, I'm perfectly fine with abiding by that because I don't want anyone to die if I'm a carrier of it. Sure. But like, okay, if the neighboring county does it in like a month from now, are we going to have to redo it because we're traveling back and forth between the two counties? Yeah. 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 I, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> Time will tell, I guess, what will happen. Well, uh, so taking this back to travel, because I think that's really what you want this podcast to be about. And I love talking about sure. traveling. The traveler in me is just like, oh, so I still have three weeks worth of vacation. And I'm like, I still want to use my three weeks worth of vacation. So several people on the boat were like, I'm never going back to Argentina. I'm never doing a cruise again. And I'm like, well, I, I am coming back to Argentina. I am probably going to do an Arctic cruise at some point. And who knows, maybe I'll go back to Antarctica. But I'm just like, okay, can all this calm down so we can enjoy summer and so I can travel again? First world props. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's. I mean, I think that's where, I think that's where everyone is though, is they, you know, everyone just wants to, to be able to, to <laughs> imagine that they're going to return to, yeah, whatever normal looks like on the other side of this. And I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what it looks like, but you're right. You know, we, we have been talking about it in kind of grim terms and, and that's why, you know, that's why when we started talking, I, I didn't want to just lead, obviously I knew about the Antarctica trip and those sorts of things, but that's why I didn't want to lead with that because, um, there's a lot of doubt and uncertainty in the world right now. And, uh, and it's, it's enjoyable to, to hear stories of someone doing something that they um, are invigorated by and something that they're passionate about and something that they, they really get something out of uh, whether that be, 
you know, <laughs> doing something locally with your friends even or or something uh, like you've done where you've gone and, and taken a trip to literally every continent in the world now. Yeah. I mean, you have some awesome people come on and speak, so I appreciate you having me. But yeah, I mean, from someone that was quarantined on a boat for seven days and I had like a scare coming home, like, you know, it's just scary trying to get home. I mean, I that hasn't dimmed my passion for travel at all. If anything, I'm just like, okay, I'm like chomping at the bit to go again. I feel like every time I come home from traveling, I'm like, all right, I'm ready to go again. Why am I working? Yeah, well, so there's a there's an interesting, I don't know, phenomenon kind of. Um, in World War II, the Germans started bombing London, right? Mm-hmm. And so the English government was was really worried that the people were all going to go into mass hysteria and, that you know, it would just be not only the actual people who were affected by the bombing, but everyone around them would also be terrified and, you know, society would crumble and whatever. And it would actually kind of the opposite effect where uh, obviously people's homes got bombed. And so those people who were directly impacted were, you know, oftentimes killed. So certainly there was an effect. However, the people who might live literally next door to where the bomb happened or went off or was dropped or whatever, but didn't actually lose that much themselves instead of devolving into this like hysteric, hysteric, you know, panic, it it actually, it actually went the other direction where they were, it was almost like they were more courageous because it was like, well, I survived it. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like now I've got, now I'm, I'm actually emboldened by the fact that the bomb went off right next to my house. And yet here I stand. And so instead of them, the population becoming widely terrified, again, it really went another direction where (laughs) they, uh, but yeah, they became, they became more, more brave, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, so maybe to some extent you're kind of experiencing that as well, where it's like you went through again, like you said, when you found out you're going to be stuck on the boat, what's the worst case scenario being stuck on the boat. And then beyond that flights are being canceled, can't get out, don't know how you're going to get an embassy won't help, you know, like all these things, all these check boxes of ways that you think it's going to be solved. And yet in the end, you still, you survived, right? You made it. So I think that probably makes sense that it's almost kind of (laughs) steeled you towards the the dangers of it, even though, you know, maybe on the surface, it wouldn't seem like that's what it would do. Oh, no. I mean, I definitely think that has an impact. And so travel related, like when you, when a person travels, I feel like you meet other like-minded people and just opens your world. And that was one thing. Antarctica isn't like an easy place to get to. And typically those flight those trips book out far in advance or you're like a last minute person that just happened to like weasel your way on. I shouldn't say Mm -hmm. weasel. You happen to like plan it just right to get on the boat. So I met so many incredible people, some that were like my age, some that were younger, some that were way older and like hearing their stories. I mean, there was a guy on the boat that had hiked Everest and like suffered frostbite and all this other stuff and just empowers you. And you're like, what are you doing with your life that, Like, if you're not happy with it, you need to fix it and change it and do what you really want to do. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's definitely, that's definitely a powerful truth and one that, that people don't, um, observe often enough. It's something that, you know, I was talking to you before we started recording about my life coach that I, that I talked to, Mm -hmm. uh, who was actually a guest on the walk show several months ago, Ashley Thomas, but, um, yeah, it's, it's something that she constantly talks about is like, 
what's the story that you've created for whatever circumstance you find yourself in and or what are the rules that you have said exist for whatever you know predicament you find yourself in because the truth is is oftentimes um it is just that it's just a set of rules or a story that we've a narrative that we've spun up that isn't really what it has to be but we just believe it and so then if you believe that that's what's true then even if it's not true it, it's definitely real if that makes sense yeah no it definitely does and i feel like i i did listen to that podcast i will be honest i haven't listened to all the podcasts but i do remember that sure. one yeah no yeah she's great um and and yeah just a, a very interesting insight that she shares pretty frequently and one that i think at least with me resonates a lot and i think you know would with with most people yeah well, it's always nice yeah. to be like reminded of those things too. Like you think you know it and then you're like, oh, that was a good refresher. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I've, I've also <laughs> been coming to is, you know, there's all these different lessons that I think I've internalized and then fast forward a few months and here I am, you know, quote unquote, learning the lesson again. And it's, I think it kind of speaks to the journey versus the destination thing where it's like, there's not, there's not an end status where you're just quote unquote enlightened or you just have it all figured out. It's always a process. It's always, um, there's always pushing and pulling. And so you do need those refreshers and you do, do need those reminders. And I, you know, like I said, I've never traveled in the way that you have, but, um, the, the little bit that I've traveled, especially for pleasure, like when I went to Podfest, for example, in Orlando, definitely a similar experience, you know, in that case, I'm going to a podcast conference. So it's even more so like-minded people. Cause we're all there specifically for that one thing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it, it absolutely opens your, opens your mind to just how many different ways things <laughs> can be real or can exist. I mean, when I was in Orlando this last time, I saw a guy stand up out of a wheelchair with like this belt of uh, electrodes or something on. And then I think he had some sort of surgical implant so that they could activate the belt and it would fire electricity through his legs oh, wow. I and mean, he's completely paralyzed from the, the belly button down and you know gets up out of a wheelchair now of course he's using his arms to some extent and stuff too but he was able to stand there and that was pretty remarkable you know yeah. so <laughs> how incredible like that's remarkable for you to see but how incredible is that for him oh yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. no it's definitely not my moment <laughs> <laughs> but i think that's still like cool to witness those kind of moments though so i'm not like downgrading yeah. you at all i'm just like i can't imagine being you and i can't like i can't imagine being him even yeah yeah i was lucky enough actually one of the, they had a, a mixer event and so i got to sit you basically sit at like a, a table with you know six other people and everyone introduces themselves and trades business cards and it's like five minutes it's kind of like speed dating for podcasters and then when you're they they tell you time's up and then everyone stands up and everyone has a little card that tells you which table to go to next so it makes sure that you you sit with different people every time yeah and um and yeah they the first table i sat at i sat i actually happened to sit right next to that guy who was in the wheelchair now it wasn't until the next day that he actually stood up but um so i wasn't aware that that was coming but yeah really really interesting guy uh just a yeah really really nice and fascinating character so that was, I'm going back to like the Antarctica trip. That was the kind of cool thing about being quarantined is I feel like we got to know the expedition team a lot better. Like mm. during the actual trip trip, I feel like we saw them, but like they're busy. Like when they're not taking you on Zodiacs, they have assigned duties to do on the boat. 
And right. that seven, like five days, like they didn't really have that much to do per se. Like some of them were super busy, but others were not. So it was really nice, like to get to know some of these people in a more, you know, just personal, casual way. Yeah, for sure. No, that makes sense. Cause you actually, you know, you, you kind of, not that you weren't always peers, you know, certainly you were, but just you, you, you kind of broke that that invisible barrier between like customer and employee to some extent because you're all stuck there together yeah it's like we're all trapped right trapped on this boat well again i am very glad that you've made it back and i will continue to to check up and make sure that you're you're not that you're doing well here after day five um but thank you very much for coming and and sharing your stories and and talking about, you know, all of your travel, but but certainly this most recent experience, because it's a a fascinating subject and a story that I don't think uh, anyone else has. I mean, obviously 198 other people (laughs) have that story, but they're not on the walk show. So thanks for having me ramble about it. I like love talking about traveling and especially since this was the most recent trip. Yeah, well, that's why I was really eager to to have you to schedule our, our, this this recording, you know, pretty quickly after you got back because obviously it's still you know as fresh as it can get, um, and I wanted to to kind of catch the coattails of that yes. <laughs> of that excitement coming back from it. So, um, well, thank you very much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it, and um, yeah, it's a good been a good time. Yeah, thank you, Walker. I've enjoyed it. folks well that's going to do it for the show today thank you so much for listening thank you so much elizabeth for stopping by and thank you as always to misha for providing the music uh really enjoyed elizabeth's stories and and really enjoyed the photos that she was able to share of the adorable tiny little penguins uh if you have not looked up pictures of baby penguins then you are missing out Uh, while adult penguins are still cute uh, the little ones are hilarious and cute Um, I will also give a shout out to my other podcast, Pick Up Your Sticks, which I co-host with Brett Lindley. Similar to The Walk Show, we have long-form conversations, except instead of being about the walk of life like it is here, it's all about video games. So if you enjoy what what you're listening to here on The Walk Show and also enjoy video games, then I highly recommend you check out Pick Up Your Sticks. Even if you don't enjoy video games, you might find that uh, that you enjoy it over there as well because we're not just talking about the latest trends in gaming or, or something like that. We really try and talk about why gaming matters, and so we talk about you know stories from our past. We've had a guest on recently that talked about how playing games really shaped his entire career direct trajectory because he, he ended up in uh, being a, a, in software as a, as a developer and really kind of got that inspiration from... Uh, gaming. So 
A lot of interesting stories over there, and Pick Up Your Sticks is available wherever you listen to The Walk Show. As always, I hope you have a great week. Stay up.